Garrison Hardy with your Cross Politic Daily News Brief for Tuesday, March 7th, 2023. I hope you all had a fantastic weekend with you and yours. Before we get to the news, you guys should have a fantastic week in Kentucky this year as our Fight Laugh Feast Conference is at the Ark Encounter in Kentucky on the politics of six-day creation. The politics of six-day creation is the difference between a fixed standard of justice and a careening standard of justice. The difference between the corrosive relativism that creates mobs and anarchy and the freedom of objectivity, truth, and due process. The politics of six-day creation establishes the authority and sufficiency of God's word for all of life. From what is a man or a woman, when does human life begin, and how is human society best organized? Come here, Ken Ham, Pastor Doug Wilson, Dr. Ben Merkel, Dr. Gordon Wilson, Pastor Toby, and more. And of course, a live cross-politics show. Mark your calendars for October 11th through the 14th as we fight, laugh, and feast with beer and psalms, our amazing lineup of speakers, our rowdy Christian merch, and a Sabbath feast to wrap up the occasion. Maybe even an infant baptism while we're at it. Visit Fight, Laugh, Feast.com. For more information, that's fightlaughfeast.com. Now, to the news. In world news, we visit Greece. Greeks protest over deadly train crash. Station master jailed pending trial. This is from Athens. A Greek railway employee was jailed on Sunday pending trial over a deadly train crash that killed at least 57 people as Greeks seethed with anger over the worst rail disaster in living memory. Protests continued to reverberate days after a head-on collision of a passenger train and a freight carrier on the Athens-Thessaloniki route in the evening of February 28th. Clashes erupted between police and demonstrators in Athens on Sunday after thousands rallied to protest over the crash. The 59-year-old Larissa Station Master faces multiple charges of disrupting transport and putting lives at risk. The man who cannot be named under Greek law was questioned for seven hours before a magistrate on Sunday before being detained. For about 20 cursed minutes, he was responsible for the safety of the whole of central Greece, his lawyer said. On Thursday, his lawyer said that his client was devastated and had assumed responsibility proportionate to him. But other factors were also at play without elaborating. Railway workers say the country's rail network has been creaking under cost-cutting and underinvestment, a legacy of Greece's debilitating debt crisis from 2010 to 2018. The Prime Minister of Transportation, who blamed the crash on human error, acknowledged that decades of neglect could have contributed to the disaster. Quote, as Prime Minister, I owe everyone, but most of all the relatives of the victims, an apology, he wrote on his Facebook account. Justice will very fast investigate the tragedy and determine liabilities, he finished. After protests over the past three days across the country, some 10,000 people gathered in Athens Square on Sunday to express sympathy for the lives lost and to demand better safety standards on the rail network. That crime won't be forgotten, protesters shouted as they released black balloons into the sky. A placard read, their policies cost human lives. Railway workers unions say safety systems throughout the rail network have been deficient for years as a remote surveillance and signaling system has not been delivered on time. They have called on the government to provide a timetable for the implementation of safety protocols. Prime Minister of Transportation said on Sunday that if there had been a remote system in place throughout the rail network, it would have been in practice impossible for the accident to happen. 
Moving on, man arrested after allegedly trying to open emergency door on plane and stabbing flight attendant. A Massachusetts man was arrested for allegedly attempting to stab a flight attendant in the neck with a broken metal spoon three times during a flight from Los Angeles to Boston on Monday after attempting to open an emergency exit door, according to the Justice Department. Francisco Severo Torres, age 33, faces one charge of interference and attempted interference with flight crew members and attendants using a dangerous weapon. Torres was arrested at Boston Logan International Airport Monday and will remain detained pending a hearing set for Thursday. During a United States airline flight from Los Angeles to Boston, the flight crew saw an alarm that the door on the plane had been disarmed. After inspection, a flight attendant saw the door's locking handle had been pushed out of the fully locked position and an emergency side arming lever had been disarmed, according to the Justice Department. A flight attendant who saw Torres near the door went to talk to Torres about the door, according to the department, who asked if there were cameras showing he had tampered with the door. According to court documents, the flight attendant then notified the captain that they believed Torres posed a threat to the aircraft and that the captain needed to land the aircraft as soon as possible, the Justice Department said. Soon after, Torres allegedly got out of his seat, mouthing something before thrusting towards one of the flight attendants in a stabbing motion with a broken metal spoon, hitting the flight attendant on the neck area three times, the department said. Torres was then tackled by other passengers on the flight and was immediately taken into custody after the flight landed. According to a criminal complaint, Torres told investigators he broke a spoon in a half-bathroom on the airplane to use as a weapon. He also told law enforcement that he tried to open the emergency door and had gotten the idea to jump out of the plane, according to the complaint. Torres told investigators he was trying to defend himself and tried to stab the flight attendant because he believed they were trying to kill him, the complaint states. The flight attendant felt the object Torres was holding in his hand, hit him on his shirt and collar, tie three times, that according to the complaint. United Airlines says it has banned Torres from flying on future flights following this incident. Moving on, this is from Breibert. More than one-third of Biden 2020 voters do not want him to run for re-election in 2024. This according to a recent survey from YouGov, according to The Economist. The survey found 58% overall revealing they do not want President Joe Biden to run for office again in 2024, while 24% said they do. Another 18% remain unsure. Predictably, opinions are divided along party lines as 83% of Republicans and 59% of independents don't want him to run. Less than a majority of Democrats, 43%, believe Biden should run in 2024, while more than one-third, 34%, said he should not. Another 23% of Democrats remain unsure. Notably, over one-third of Biden 2020 voters, 36%, do not want him to run in the next presidential race, while less than a majority, 39%, said he should. One quarter of Biden 2020 voters, of course, remain unsure. For further comparison, most 2020 Trump voters, 55%, want former President Donald Trump to run in 2024, and 53% of Republicans across the board say the same. The survey was taken February 25th through the 28th in 2023 among 1,500 U.S. adult citizens. It coincides with other polls showing Biden's inability to win over a majority of Democrats to support his potential 2024 presidential bid. 
Recent Fox News survey, for instance, found 53% of Democrat voters asserting that someone else should be their nominee in the forthcoming presidential election, compared to a 37% poll who said, keep Biden as the nominee. As Breibert reported, the article added further perspective to Biden's figures among the Democrat base, noting that Trump saw far more support from his Republican base at the same point of his presidency, as 72% of Republican voters wanted to see him as the GOP nominee again in 2020. Similarly, a McLaughlin and Associates survey released last month found just more than a quarter, 26% supporting Biden in a crowded Democratic field. Moving on, let's go to the state of Washington this time. Attorney General pushes state-level Ministry of Truth, critics say, could jail conservatives who express mainstream views. A state attorney general from Washington is advocating for a bill some critics argue could punish outspoken conservatives as domestic extremists. This according to KTTH's Jason Rance. He reported this Wednesday. Quote, some conservative views or anything Washington State Attorney General Bob Ferguson deems as misinformation are examples of domestic extremism, Rance said. It's the most dangerous bill in legislative history, the Seattle radio host added. Washington is creating a state version of the ill-fated Ministry of Truth, according to Rants and others who had analyzed the bill. The controversial bill proposes the establishment of a Commission on Domestic Violence Extremism. Rep. Bill Ramos, a Democrat, sponsored the bill, which would create a 13-member commission. HB 1333 describes the duties of the proposed commission as involving efforts to combat disinformation and misinformation and collecting data on incidents of domestic violent extremism, the Center Square explains. Through D- though DVE is is not explicitly defined in the bill. There we go. Ferguson has described the term as including non-criminal activities or speech, the outlet also says. The legislation was spawned by the Attorney General's 2022 domestic terrorism study, according to the Center Square. That study warned that effective state intervention to address these threats has the potential to implicate speech or association that may be protected by the First Amendment or the individual right to bear arms protected by the Second Amendment. Further, the commission, though charged with examining ways to treat DVE as a public health issue, though the state's Department of Health would have only one member required to be an expert in public health. The basic idea is to take preemptive measures to stop actual domestic terrorist acts through community intervention. Such community intervention could include, for example, compelling people identified as extremists to undergo counseling, according to Rance's interpretation of comments Ferguson made in an interview with PBS in January. And here's part of that interview for you. And then you also recommend uh, a more public health approach, one that's led by the community and by different community institutions. What does that look like in practice, though? Yeah, so the way to think of this, and it's fairly detailed, but at a high level, up to this point, as a nation, really, we've addressed this type of extremism from a law enforcement standpoint to criminalize folks who engage in that behavior, which is, of course, entirely appropriate. Those folks need to be held accountable. What we're trying to get at is something a little bit different, to broaden the scope. Look at it from a public health standpoint, because that is what it is. We should view this holistically. Let's engage in prevention of getting folks, avoiding them being radicalized in the first place. If somebody is radicalized and wants to remove move away from that, how can we help them with counseling, for example, to get them away from that uh, that ideology? So, looking at it from a more holistic standpoint, we think addresses prevention, addresses helping folks who've been radicalized, and take a more holistic view of this 
to address what is a huge challenge, not just in Washington state, but all across the country. On radicalization specifically, you mentioned that uh, looking at social media and the role of social media and online disinformation and radicalizing people. And in many of these recent cases of violent extremism, including in the case of the Oath Keepers that were just found guilty of seditious conspiracy, these aren't young men. These are men in their 40s, 50s, even in their 60s. Usually when we talk about harmful content on social media, we're talking about how it impacts younger people, impressionable young people. So how do you prevent older citizens from being drawn into, you know, these alt-right conspiracy theory groups like the Oath Keepers or anti-government groups? You raise a really good point, Laura, right, about the large number of folks in our community, not simply young people who are impacted by this. And that's what creating a commission is all about. We'd be the first state to create the commission that you mentioned at the outset, and that would bring together experts to engage on making specific recommendations on exactly this kind of issue. What can we do to prevent the radicalization of folks who are a bit older, as you said, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, and to help them to get out of that if they are radicalized? So there are all sorts of things that experts have recommended in this area. Our goal is to create that commission. Our report's a first step. Now let's move to creating the commission, get experts together who can put together a plan for the entire state of Washington, work on community members to make recommendations to really address exactly that type of challenge that we see all across the country every time it seems like we pick up the newspaper. Rance went on to explain that opposing critical race theory, mask mandates, and radical gender ideology could all be seen by the commission as tied to white supremacy. Now, lastly, let's end on some good news. Walgreens won't distribute abortion pill in 21 states, according to a spokesperson. American pharmacy chain Walgreens faced backlash over the weekend after announcing it would not sell abortion pills in states where the drugs remain illegal after nearly two dozen Republican state attorney generals threatened illegal action against the company. Walgreens, the second largest pharmaceutical chain in the United States, told Politico last week they would not dispense abortion pills either by mail or at locations in 21 states, including Alaska, Iowa, Kansas, and Montana, where the drug is legal. The decision followed a letter from 20 Republican attorneys general last month who warned of violating state laws if the company mailed out abortion pills. Several other pharmacies, including CVS, Walmart, and Costco, also received a similar letter from those state officials. Following the announcement, businesses Insider reported the phrases Walgreens and Boycott Walgreens, there we go, trended on Twitter as critics called on the consumers to stop supporting the pharmacy, which cited tweets from one President Joe Biden's aides, Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, and Senator Tammy Duckworth, Democrat of Illinois, all calling on the pharmacy to reverse its decision. Christy Hamrick, a spokesperson for Students for Life, praised Walgreens' decision. Students for Life and other pro-life groups have also written to Walgreens and CVS, threatening legal ramifications ramifications for the pharmacies if they begin filling prescriptions for abortion pills, Politico reported. Other states, Walgreens included in the announcement, were those that made it illegal to dispense the abortion pill through the mail, such as Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Texas, Utah, and West Virginia. Good job on you states. And that is your news for today. This has been Garrison Hardy with your Cross-Politic Daily News Brief. If you like the show, go ahead and hit that share button for me down below. If you want to sign up for a club membership, a magazine subscription, or a trip to the Ark Encounter, head on over to FightLaughBeast.com. And as always, if you want to ask me about uh, the Ark Encounter, if you want to send me a news story, or if you want to become a corporate partner, email me at Garrison at FightLaughBeast.com. 
Cross Politic News, I'm Garrison Hardy. Have a great day and Lord bless.